good morning. Hello, everybody. Nice to see you. Right. If you've got your Bible with you, you can open it at Acts chapter 15. I'm going to read from verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word together, you would soften our hearts, that you would put your finger on things in our lives that aren't in line with your truth. And I pray that you would redeem and heal and restore some things this morning. I pray that in Jesus' name. Last week, Dan attempted to persuade us that chapter 15 of Acts was the most important chapter, not only in Acts, but the Bible, for the churches in the UK and beyond at this time. In light of certain people coming amongst the church, looking to subvert the one true gospel, Paul and Barnabas had a sharp dispute last week. But that was with those that were trying to subvert the gospel. They took action at that time. And the one true gospel continues to this day to be made known. That gospel of grace. Nothing needing adding to the work of Jesus. He completed all that needed to be done for our salvation. Last time I preached here, we were looking at Barnabas and Paul. They were on the launch pad at that point of their missionary journey. And they did, as I said, they would go on to travel around, to have great adventures. They brought God's kingdom. They established churches. We've been following along, yeah? Well, now today we come to them making a plan for what's next. It's been a real adventure. They've gone to lots of new places. They've been proclaiming the good news of Jesus to Jews and to Gentiles, to the religious leaders, to the communities that they were found themselves amongst. They preached it to the sick, and they saw miraculous healings happen. They also got thrown out of a few places. But it was a season of, success, of a successful partnership, of them working together to spread the gospel. I can imagine Barnabas with his constant encouragement, Paul for his 
probably remembering every day what he was saved from, what he did before he was saved, what God had saved him into, what he'd been called to, his radical passion for Jesus and the gospel of grace. They've been a great team, haven't they? It's gone well. Well, we're still in chapter 15, so I don't know if you were convinced last week that this is the most important chapter around at the minute, but I'm preaching from chapter 15 as well. So uh, if it was as good for last week, maybe it's good for this week as well, and maybe it will be for you the most important thing that God has for you today. So let's find out what happens and what we see. Well, right at the start there, we see that Paul and Barnabas agree on a great plan. They have a great plan, and they both agree on it. What's that plan? They're going to go back to find out how the other churches they planted are doing and to strengthen them. Would you agree that that's a good plan? It's a bit of a change attack from the going to new places to breaking new ground, to establishing new churches. They've decided to go back round. I can imagine they'd be taking the letter that we saw last week, taking it with them to... I can imagine that maybe Paul was a bit concerned, maybe Barnabas was a bit worried about the churches that they set up, that they might be falling into the same trap. They might be listening to people themselves and being pulled away from this gospel of grace. Maybe they'd be rules of different kinds would be trying to have been added to them. And they wanted this strengthening would have been to, to go and help them realize, help them remember not to deviate from the one true gospel. These guys have been battling for the gospel. When I say these guys, I mean Paul and Barnabas. They were true disciples. They took ground. They went out into the world. They told people the gospel. Maybe some of you, discipleship trainees in particular, might have been doing that, going out on the streets, telling people the gospel. I hear it was a good time. God saved people, and he helped them establish churches. You know the game of risk, a game of strategy, the board game? Each turn, this is like a map of the world, and you have armies, and you own territories, and you have to try and take over the world. Lots of not good things about that game, but also helpful illustration, hopefully, this morning. Because each turn, you have to make a decision whether you're going to go and conquer a new land or whether you're going to shore up your armies where they currently are, ready to risk an attack, to resist an attack, or ready to prepare to go on another sortie. So they've been taking a lot of ground, but here they seem to be switching tack, setting off to revisit the churches and strengthen them. God's mission is to prepare his bride. That started before Paul and Barnabas, or you and I, were born, and it will continue long after we've, well, it will continue possibly after we've left this world, unless God chooses to return sooner than that. But whilst we're here, we get to join in the mission. That's what we're here for. That includes taking ground. That includes holding ground. And in some cases, that includes retaking ground that has been lost. 
And that's why we need, we all need, to regularly return to the fundamentals of the one true gospel. That the great I am created the universe. That he created man and he created woman. We didn't create him and we don't control him. And we shouldn't kill others that he created, whether they're adults or children or still in the womb where he knits us together. There are so many news stories I keep stumbling across. Maybe I should stop looking at the app. But I'm just sometimes numbed by the horror of it all. The world is making such a hash of everything. And we shouldn't kill other people with our words either. God determines what's right and what's wrong. All wisdom is found in him. And the way we encounter God has came out in that tongue and interpretation is by getting off the throne of our own lives. We don't sit on our own throne, perhaps letting him in, perhaps sending him away again at different times. No, we get off the throne of our own lives. We recognize that he is the rightful king. We likely fall prostrate before him. We surrender, we give up our rights. We become disciples. Being a disciple means looking to align every thought with his. We stop judging others and we start loving them as he loves us. Giving our lives to God means exactly that. We give it to him. It's no longer ours. We are dead to sin and we are alive in Christ. We break bread together. We remember that Jesus did it all, that he finished it. It was complete. He's reconciled us to the Father. He's paid our debt. It is good news indeed. And we are now free. Paul and Barnabas have agreed on their mission. But... All good stories have a butt in them, don't they, somewhere? No sooner have they started planning the detail that the enemy, I think, has been prowling around and sees an opportunity and he attacks. And today's choice of attack is disunity at the personal level between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas simply suggests that they take along John Mark again. And that idea goes down with Paul like a cup of cold sick. Sorry, like a lead balloon. I meant to say a lead balloon, like a lead balloon. Somehow, all of their history, their joint ministry, their iron sharpening iron, their traveling around together, their friendship, they're contending for the gospel together, resisting attack. It all seems to evaporate at this idea 
that John Mark becomes a traveling companion and tags along. It derails their idea to go and strengthen the churches together. Like a lot of scripture, this is not there as a shining example of righteousness or how to handle conflict well. But it's here to remind us that God is the hero of his story. In his wisdom, in his grace and in his mercy, he is bringing his kingdom and has chosen to create and include us, humans, fallen, finite, fragile, faltering humans. He's chosen us to join in his mission. That is phenomenal. But he can do that. He can do that. And he can disciple us in the process. And he can disciple us in maintaining, having, enjoying good relationships with each other. So we can take this passage as a warning, as a nudge towards God's wisdom, grace, and mercy to avoid such pitfalls ourselves. As we do it, even us will be evidence of his kingdom coming, his kingdom coming in our lives, of us being his disciples. As we take part in life, we experience skirmishes in relationships. As we live and breathe, we encounter probably daily conflict with the door held open for us to develop that into full disunity. I mean, we were involved in conflict from day one, really, weren't we? We were there. We were wanting to cry. Our parents were wanting us to sleep so that they could. Our parents wanted us to eat five more mouthfuls. We wanted to negotiate it down to three. Our parents wanted us home for 10 o'clock. We wanted to stay out till 11 Fill in your own times. We fall out with siblings. We fall out with colleagues. We fall out with friends. Sometimes over significant things. Sometimes over insignificant ones. I don't think I'm telling you anything you don't already know just there. And I think most people have a general discomfort with conflict. Not many people love it. One or two do. Most people don't. Most of us don't feel that comfortable when conflict rears its head. We can experience internally. We can experience it with other people. We can experience it on a personal level with maybe a family member or anyone. We can experience it at a corporate level. It exists between nations and organizations. It exists between political parties, ideologies, sexes, and more. Basically, anywhere where there's an opinion to be had, there's a disagreement to be found as well. Anywhere where people can take sides, they will probably want to. Often, we're presented with opportunities to feel very proud about the clear position we've come to on something and to be scathing of those that think otherwise. 
You can disagree with me if you want. So with so much conflict around, handling conflict or potential conflict or approaching conflict, whether we're thinking really consciously about that or whether it's just starting, you're just starting to realize that that is actually what's happening a lot of the time, it does take up a lot of our lives, a lot of our conversations, a lot of our activity, a lot of our emotion, a lot of our time, and a lot of our energy. I just want to share one quote that often comes to my mind. I, I heard it years and years ago, and it often comes to my mind when confronting someone who's got a different opinion to me on some things. It was Winston Churchill who said it. He once said, if two people agree on everything, one of them is unnecessary. And it is funny, but I've found it genuinely helpful to help me see that people with some different opinions isn't a bad thing. It's okay that some of us will have different opinions on things at different times. The prim primary problem is that the enemy tries to use that to bring about disunity. We've got the opportunity to handle it well. Some methods of handling conflicts might well lead to a bigger division or even separation in a relationship. And that seems to be what happens with Paul and Barnabas as they don't resolve their conflicts and they go their separate ways. But what I'd like to try and persuade you of this morning is that there is another door held open for us at that moment of differing opinions. And at the other side of that door, the other side of a well-handled conflict lies a, a promised land of strengthened and deepened relationship. We're not just talking about avoiding something. We're talking about going for something here. Strong and deep and meaningful relationships with others. I think in those places, we experience more truth and we experience more love. It's like you start a conflict or an argument thinking either there's one winner and one loser or two losers. The only option is separation. We're going to have to go our separate ways. When actually, I believe that as you search for greater truth, as we draw close to God, as he informs us, as we submit to his will, greater love, greater truth come, and relationships in that space are deeper and stronger. I guess I kind of want to persuade you that like with suffering or persecution, which are, as you know, difficult experiences to go through, I want to suggest that like with those, that we should lean in rather than run away or try and avoid when that happens. There is great fruit to be had in getting to the other side of conflict. Do we hold, do you hold a conviction 
that handling conflict well is indeed of significant importance. I think we probably all do. I just want to draw a couple of bits of scripture to reassure us of that. Many a week we would stand at the front here or on, online during lockdown and, and start the meeting by talking about loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. That clearly speaks of unity. That clearly speaks of how we relate to others with love. Paul himself goes on to say in Romans 12 that we are to be devoted to one another in love and to honor one another above ourselves. I don't know, for a moment I'm thinking that could be a bit awkward. We've just seen uh, Paul uh, not really doing that, maybe, with Barnabas, but uh, maybe that was the moment he learned this lesson. And when he comes on to write Romans, he's saying, honour one another above yourselves. Just before that, in, earlier in, in, in Romans 12, he's talking about them belonging to each other and having gifts for each other. From verse, uh, where should we go to? Verse... Three, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. We are to think of ourselves as one body, each member belonging to the other. And we've got gifts to give each other. That's what the focus of our relationships can be about. It's not so that those giving of those gifts isn't so... Uh, the giver can feel really proud of what they've given or, or exercise control over any others as they do that. We aren't supposed to be sitting around going, why doesn't everyone think like me? Why doesn't everyone do it like I do it? Why hasn't everyone got exactly the same gifts as me? We're supposed to crack on with giving the gifts that God's given us to give. There's lots of other places I could go, but I want to just move us on. Hopefully I persuaded you that conflict itself isn't necessarily the real issue. There are good reasons why we don't want to end up in disunity. So let me try and encourage us to overcome fear, to grasp faith, to seize opportunities as they arise to move through conflict and into the direction of strengthened relationship rather than towards disunity. We might, ironically, be fearing the loss or diminishing of a relationship, and that's what's fearfully keeping us from talking to the other person, from speaking the truth with love. So here are five quick ways we might handle conflict. They're not all recommended, but there are five ways, and each one comes with its own illustrative animal. 
so if you're making notes and you like to include pictures in your notes, you've got five animals to draw. Jairus, I know you'll be on it. Anyone else is welcome to join him. First one is when we come across conflict is to avoid it like a turtle. A turtle winds its neck in when there's trouble around, when there's uncomfort threat around, just winds its neck in, hides in its shell. Just try and avoid the conflict. Change the subject. Don't express any opinions. Don't listen to any. We can look at Paul and Barnabas. Neither of them use this strategy. This isn't one that they went for. The main problem with this approach is it doesn't resolve anything. And the conflict is still there. And at some point, it comes back, probably amplified. The best you can do is kick it down the road, but it'll come back. And while you're there, it's a good little sort of breeding ground, isn't it, for some speculation and some resentment. It's most likely going to diminish the relationship. Because if you're going to avoid the issue, you're probably avoiding the person as well. And at some times, I guess it's not even possible, is it? At some point, John Mark needed to make a decision and know whether he was getting on the boat or not. Another method people might use when they face these kind of conflicts is to accommodate like a teddy bear. I know it's not a real animal, but a real bear wouldn't work, so we're going for teddy bear. Nice and soft and cuddly. A conflict can be resolved quite easily by one person just conceding to the other. Whatever you say, whatever you said, I'll, I just agree with you. And this can really appear, can't it, to place a really high value on the relationship. I don't want to be in conflict with you, so I'm, so I'm not going not to argue. I'm just going to let you think what you think. I'm not going to say what I think. Again, neither Paul or Barnabas use this approach. Neither of them concedes any ground, do they? They're both maintaining their position. Maybe some of you might think at this point, well, that sounds quite like Jesus, doesn't it? Just prefer others. Is that not honouring others? Is that just, just agreeing with them? Just saying they, right? At the calculated risk of starting another conflict, I, I think you must be wrong. If the right thing to do is always concede, if that's what it means to be like Jesus, then both parties need to do that, don't they? Both parties need to have the chance to be like Jesus and concede. What does Mark do then? Barnabas now says... No, he mustn't come on the trip. Paul's saying, no, he must come on the trip. John Mark still doesn't know what he's doing. You're back to square one. And if you are just going for this option, you're, you're kind of, and that's your thinking, then you're denying the other person the opportunity to be Jesus-like. Accommodation might solve a single conflict in a kind of win-lose way. But if that's how every conflict starts to get resolved in a relationship, then that relationship gets really out of kilter. You end up with a kind of tyrant-doormat combination going on there, and that's not good for either party. I could also suggest that this is a particularly dangerous parenting strategy, along with avoiding every conflict as well. Accommodating your child's every wish it's going to put them in the risk of massive harm. Because as you grow up, your parents have a responsibility 
before God for your well-being. So when they tell you that they're not accommodating a request, a demand from you, because they love you, then you might want to consider, kids, that believing them, trusting them, obeying them could go well for you. It says that in the Bible. It will go well for you. It's good practice as well for when you're following God. And he tells you to do things and puts up boundaries for you. Leads you into good things that way. One day, you might get to be a parent yourself and you'll find what it's like on the other side. I'm, uh, I'm really grateful for, for my dad. Uh, he, uh, I think he was quite good at this. I, I find it harder to remember times when he agreed with me than when he disagreed with me. Um, but he taught me he taught me how to lovingly discuss and debate and, 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 and explore together. And he'd bring the Bible in and he'd point me at flaws in my arguments that weren't based on Scripture and show me where grace comes and changes everything. Uh, I may be slightly shoehorned in a reference personal reference to my dad there, because it's uh, Father's Day, and uh, he's not here. Uh, he might watch this online later. Hi, Dad. Um, it's also his birthday today. It's, uh, it's his 90th birthday, so happy birthday, Dad. Uh, I think I just got that in in time. He's in a different time zone, so... Uh, uh, I'm so grateful for him, introducing me to this ability this around the dinner table and uh, uh, and other times just having being able to have discussion where we would robustly kick around things but love would be in the mix grace would be there the purpose would be for my good uh, maybe maybe that helps some parents and some kids Maybe it'll help more when I finish the other three options. The next one is compromise. Compromise like a fox. Let's make short work of this one. We're going to dispatch it. It's not great. Paul and Barnabas don't compromise, do they? We see from that they didn't compromise. I don't know what a compromise would have looked like. They'd have taken half of Mark. I'll have the top half. No, I want the, I want the left half. I don't know. We'll take him halfway, and then we'll leave him somewhere this time. He can make his own way home. I don't know. Compromise falls short, doesn't it, of God's best. Paul, later on, writing to the church in Philippi, connects being united with Christ with being one in spirit and of one mind. United with Christ, being one in spirit and of one mind. Starting to point to what we're going for. And he goes on to specifically say, I plead with Euodia and I plead with the Syntyche 
to be of the same mind in the Lord. If he's pleading for that, it's because it's possible. It's because it's good, because it's worth going for. Compromising is kind of agreeing to disagree. And he didn't plead with them to do that. Compromising sounds like a, a cunning plan a fox would come up with, but it's counterfeit. It's not what we're going for. Now we come to what Paul and Barnabas did do. They competed like a couple of sharks. This is kind of the opposite of accommodating. They both went for it. They properly attempted to win the argument. They went on the attack. They, I don't know exactly how it looked and played out, but the evidence is that neither backed down. They were clear about what they believed. They owned their convictions. They decided that this was that important, that they would have to go their separate ways. I think we can agree that probably wasn't the best outcome possible. They might have even been arguing, well, I'm, I, I'm so right about this. This is for your benefit that I think this. That may have been true, but they lost everything in the winning. If I had a gift for you, and I was walking towards you to give it to you, and I got to about six feet away, and I launched it into your face, what would you think? Would you thank me? I think you should thank me. I've just given you a gift, surely. You're grateful I gave you a gift. Come on, be grateful. Earlier in the chapter, Dan was persuading us last week, uh, this was the right approach that they used together when they were contending for the gospel. There is a time to hold ground on significant points. They united together and they did divide from those certain people. This week, in contrast, this seems misjudged between two brothers. So here we come to the winning combination. It's collaboration, and of course, what animal would we use for this kind of wisdom but the owl? There are, there are great options to collaborate together. And a moment of conflict is a great moment to pray and ask for wisdom. James tells us to do it, doesn't he? And God gives us wisdom. In my experience, praying with the person you are in conflict with in the moment, yep, in the moment, is a game changer. I'm assuming that's with a Christian brother or sister. I've not tried it with an unbeliever. Recognize that God dwells in each of us. Talk and listen. Honor one another. If both of you are seeking the Holy Spirit's leading into truth, then it's not just possible, but it's likely that we'll end up in agreement with each other. 
Perhaps one will shift more than the other. Perhaps both will be shifting. Perhaps both will be asking for forgiveness. Perhaps both will be giving forgiveness. Going back to my gift that I've got for you, let me try again. What if I was to wrap that gift up in a paper that I knew you would appreciate? So if I knew that you liked Paw Patrol, I would buy some Paw Patrol paper, and on my Paw Patrol paper there would be pictures of Chase and Rubble and Rocky and Marshall and Sky, and I'd wrap it up for all the lovely my Paw Patrol paper, and I'd move towards you, holding it carefully. And as I get close and hold it out to you, what are you going to do? You're probably going to reach out and take it off me. Giving gifts isn't my strongest suit, but I do know one or two basics. <laughs> this is a place where we value our own thoughts, our own opinions, our own convictions, and we're interested in our brothers or our sisters' thoughts and opinions and convictions as well. We take time to listen. We take time to hear each other. Valuing the relationship is giving it time. giving it proximity, it's being together, having those conversations. It's coming with a kind of, how shall we sort it out heart, not a, shall we sort it out? Recognizing that the person we're coming to, God saw fit to adopt into his kingdom, to make his son or to make his daughter. So as we bring our mustard seed of faith, an ounce or two of humility, and as we talk and pray, read scripture together, the likely outcome is going to be unity, not disunity. The enemy attack will be foiled, a skirmish won, grace received, and God will be glorified. So my prayer this morning is that this passage will help us to avoid the debilitating pain of poorly handled conflict rumbling on for years and keep us as a church from, far from, disunity. I want us to be encouraged to believe for healthy relationships where both parties have something to contribute to God's mission for the very reason that they don't agree on everything and that they're not exactly the same. We each, we honour each other and we bring our gifts. Well, I want to finish on this. I'm going to finish by reminding us that wrapping all this up is a message of redemption and of healing. Just as Jesus wipes away our sin and our shame, for perpetrators and for victims, for all who call on his name. That includes redemption in, in broken and damaged relationships. 
things that the enemy meant for harm. God can transform, turn into something good. Consider Joseph and his brothers. They leave him for dead, and yet he becomes part of how God saves the nation, that he restores their relationship in the process. For the sake of the mission, for the sake of moving forward as a church, let's believe for good relationships. We don't have a lot of evidence for how Paul and Barnabas related after this, but there are one or two uh, mentions where they're there's, not, there's certainly no mentions of them bad-mouthing each other. There are mentions of them recognising and acknowledge. Uh, Paul recognises and acknowledges Barnabas in, in Corinthians. Uh, and, and Paul and Mark go on to work together as well. There's lots, as you would expect, of evidence of redemption in the story. God redeems, doesn't he? He's our repairer, our restorer, our uniter. So let's come to him. Let's come to him with real faith. Let's come to him recognizing that we're part of this body, that we're connected. Let's come for the sake of the mission. Let's come for the sake of seeing his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven.